Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison, the co-founders of InGoal Magazine. I'm Darren Millard. This is InGoal Radio, the podcast, presented by Source for Sports Surrey, the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com. Into the final quarter of the National Hockey League season, junior leagues are starting to gear up for the playoffs, and we are into the postseason for college hockey. It is the stretch drive, and we're looking at a lot of equipment lines coming out. This is going to be an exciting episode as we deal with a lot of gear, both uh, both ends of it, really. The top with your head and the end with the, the stick. You're going to have to play along and stay with us for a full explanation as we uh, we're bringing in the fellas. And uh, this is going to be a fun episode because Greg Harrison, the famed mask maker, a pioneer in the mask business, uh, chats with uh, Hutch for over an hour and 45 minutes. No, it's not that long. But it's, uh, but it's a lengthy conversation that will have you riveted. And, uh, and I mentioned lengthy because uh, that it, it, you'll, you'll listen to it and you'll go, I, I could listen to another hour of this. And I'm, and I'm not kidding about this. And we'll also get into the gear segment uh, over with the guys at uh, the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com. But uh, Bahach, uh, I'm, I'm excited for everybody's reaction to your uh, chat with Greg. So am I. Um, I. I know we have a lot of people that listen to the show that were fans of goaltending back when I was because we've had uh, such great reaction to the veterans we've had on the show and uh, for me it was really exciting to uh, to bump into Greg online quite literally happened on Instagram I noticed him on there uh, sent him a direct message I said is this the Greg Harrison and I uh, was really excited to get a note back saying saying it was because I I was a huge fan of goalie masks way back in the 70s and uh, and he obviously is one of the central figures of the development, not only of the technology of the mask, but uh, but of the artwork as well. And as I told him, I don't think on the interview has a tiny little role in the creation of In Goal magazine. In fact, I said, I think I probably owe him some residuals as a result, because I got my start in this little bit. And we we started In Goal um, much of the original content we had at the time was around masks when people weren't really publishing mask art uh, to the extent that they are now and certainly weren't crediting the artists involved. And so um, that's something that we started doing. But for me, it actually began way back in grade six when I was doing sketches of Harrison masks and selling them to kids at school for a dime each. So I told Harrison I owe him probably 10 cents a mask. Oh, wow. Yeah. I learned some terminology uh, during the course of the interview and uh, the, the pretzel mask. Yes. And the, the bar mask. And I couldn't same. figure out what, what you guys were really uh, discussing. And yeah, it's, it's the same. It's, but it's that first sort of primitive Ken Dryden mask is the best thing I could uh, call it. It's, it's not just a flat mask. It's just a bunch of bars. Tubes, sort of yeah. Connected, yeah. For sure. And Dryden's the one that I think resonates with everybody. Certainly does for me. He was my hero growing up. But uh, but predates him as well by by several several well known goaltenders. So, and Greg, the best part about Greg is uh, he's not shy about uh, voicing an opinion, and and you will you will know exactly uh, where he stands on on certain subjects, and and also has has a he played the position and has a really interesting career and in as sort of a, a pseudo e bug uh, back in the day with the uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and you guys get into that. So uh, it's hmm. a fascinating conversation about mask making, mask art. And uh, and the position of goaltending, and uh, on the subject of uh, of equipment, uh, Woody, uh, you know, 
Robin Leonard uh, has has had uh, he's probably one of the most unique goaltenders in the NHL today when it comes to gear. He's worn uh, one set of pads for warm up, another set of pads for a uh, first period, and then gone back to the other pads for uh, another period. Like he flip flops mid game, maybe not like uh, during a period, but uh, but certainly during intermissions. And the other night he wore his new Brian's pads straight out of the box. Uh, without any practice, without uh, any morning skate, put them on a warm-up, went out and posted a shutout. And how many goalies do you think would do that in the National Hockey League? Well, it speaks to a couple things. It speaks to Robin Lehner and, and sort of the uniqueness and strength of his character and belief once he believes in something. I mean, this is a guy, you know, to tie it into Greg Harrison, this is a guy who, when the Buffalo Sabres had their outdoor game, actually asked about the possibility of wearing one of those old-school all-fiberglass you know, no metal bar, like right against your face, big chin style masks mm-hmm. in the game. So, and what happened with that? Yeah, that was, was he- that was quickly shot down for safety concerns. Okay, yeah, that's um, not the safest. I mean, I, <laughs> it's funny because because um, Greg mentioned uh, John Garrett. Obviously, now does color here in Vancouver, and he's told me stories about you know those old masks, like they were so close to your face, you took one off there, it just you know, just broke your nose pretty much. And he'd have to have it reset on a, on a semi-regular basis. So, um, but it also speaks to the relationship that, that Robin has built with Brian's and with Chris Joswiak, the pro rep. I mean, when he first looked at switching, that was not an easy process. He'd been in Vaughn for a long time. Um, he relied on Vaughn, not just to be broken in, but actually to break down. Like he really does like a soft boot. When Brian sent him the first, set of pads the first time to try, um, there was a set where he actually cut open the boot of the pads and cut up the foam in that bottom boot section to try and soften it. Because no he was So yeah, he be, broke the foam down? Yeah, like, and then sent wow. it back to them to sort of show, him, so, show them how soft he liked it. Because with his Vons, it, it wasn't so much even that he counted on them. I don't know that they were stuffed or not, to be honest with you, but they sure looked like they were. They were that soft. And he he sort of counted on them not to be broken in, but to actually break down. And so they've developed to the point where they know what he likes. They can deliver what he likes right out of the box to the point where he's confident enough to wear it in a game. And, you know, to me, that's a sign of a couple things. Like it's a sign of a company being, you know, reacting to, to the goaltender, a goaltender who, like I said, in the early going, I don't think they saw that as a partnership that was going to last just because you know, not often you got a guy in the NHL actually open up the pad and change Ryan the full on side. Yeah. Yes. And, and so to here we are today where he can grab a pair out of the box and wear them in a big game for the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, also credit, we've had him on the show before, um, to Chris Joswiak. Uh, you talk to yeah. guys around the league, uh, the relationship, and I don't think a lot of, I'm not sure, I think goalies understand this. Most, most fans probably don't. The re- when it comes to goaltenders, there are some equipment managers with teams that also play the position and have strong relationships with the goalies on their team. But for the most part, the most important relationship a goalie has in terms of equipment is with his pro rep and guys like Chris Joswiak for, for Brian's um, play a massive role in that. And so it's a credit to that and a, and a, and a credit to Laner and the strength of sort of person that he is that, Hey, they felt good going on. I'm, I'm good and warm up. I'm going to wear him in a game and look good, feel good, play good. Right. They certainly looked uh, sharp out there. I love the little Panda embroidery on the back yeah. of the strap and all those touches. So yeah, hey, it was it was nice. Can't wait to see what he comes up with for a mask, and it'll be nice when they get to the point where the uh, the Warrior Sticks match as well. 
Okay, so how many... Um, oh, by the way, on the Warrior Stick, he's been named first star of both games uh, it, that he's played for the Vegas Golden Knights, and he's given away his game stick. You know when they come out uh, oh, for wow. the star loop? Because I assume he's, he's transitioning out of those colors into the, the, the Warrior Sticks that, that would have the Vegas Golden Knight colors. Let's... So for the time being... He's giving away his game sticks uh, on the uh, on the star twirl. Well, we talked about this, I think, recently, where um, for the longest time, the model of Warrior that he liked didn't come in black. And so the equipment staff in Chicago was actually spray painting it right. black and having to do the lettering themselves. So I think the equipment staff in Vegas is probably hoping that he can get them in black <laughs> with gold trim because I don't think they uh, I don't think they'll, they'll be too excited about having to do, you know, do their own lettering on those kits. I want to get into the hockey shop because there's uh, some stuff going on there. But just uh, on the idea of, of taking a pair of pads and wearing them in a National Hockey League game straight out of the box. Uh, do you know of anybody else that would do that? Uh, yeah, and we've heard and just what made it possible? Well, so, so there are some, Hutch. I think we have. Like, like I'm sure we have. I'm curious to watch tonight. We've got a massive playoff game implications tonight between the Vancouver Canucks and Arizona Coyotes. I'm at Rogers Arena right now as we record this. Thatcher Demko, uh, the gloves sh- sh- were here for practice yesterday. The pads were still being unloaded. So as me and him were talking uh, in the locker room, the, his new Brian's pads came in. He had them on the ice for morning skate this morning. And I'm curious, does he wear them in the game tonight or does he need a couple skates in them? Um, we've talked to a lot of guys. That was one of the things for years that guys loved about CCM, the consistency of the product. They all talked about how when they got it, it was the same as the last one. And for a lot of guys, some guys still need a time to break them in. But for a lot of guys, Roberto Luongo for one. You know, there were quite often times where he just took them out of the box, warm and practice that day. And whenever the next game was, he was ready to put them on. So I think there are still some like, hey, like Jonathan Quick and Jack Campbell, their pads are so soft. Like it just yeah. takes time to get like, like again, it's, it's not a rip on any company. It's just these goalies want them so soft that it's almost like, they go beyond broken in. They're almost broken down. That's how they right. like them. Like you could grab Quick's pads and like a xylophone, you could squeeze them together, right? They're so soft. Um, and there are still a few guys around, but I think increasingly, you know, you think of Bauer with that, that, with that one piece, um, you know, the way the pad and the shape of the pad is, is, has, comes consistently the same every time. There are probably more and more guys around the league that can just grab a set, get on the ice and go. And let's not forget, we've, also on this podcast, uh, I think it was the episode, Darren, when you spoke with uh, with Kay, was uh, one goaltender in the league going through, wasn't it something like 24 sets of gloves in a season? Right. So those aren't well broken down, that's for sure. Um, guys actually want that feel now of a new a new product. Well, it's, uh, that's great insight uh, because it was, a, it was a real story and maybe we overplayed it, but uh, that's, that's why we talked to uh, Hutch and Woody over at Ingle Radio, the podcast Ingle Magazine. Uh, the Hockey Shop, Sorcerer Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com, uh, with a lot going on as we enter the spring, uh, Woody. Uh, give us an idea of what's uh, what's happening over at Goalie Heaven. Well, a couple key dates to keep in mind, folks. Uh, March 13th is the start of their annual end-of-season sale, and that's going to mean 20% off all Bauer Supreme Goal, all CCM Premier, all Warrior G4, all Von V8, everything. We've talked about some of the sales over the past couple of weeks where they're looking to get rid of things like Premier 2 leg pads and gloves. Those are on right now. Um, Bauer Supreme was on sale as well. Again, leg pads and gloves all through you know senior, pro, uh, and junior models. Well, now it's everything. Everything 
starting March 13th to the 29th. Get it all, get the shelves cleared out for the new stuff to come in in April and May. Um, so pretty much, you know, you're talking uh, not just pads and blockers, but uh, sticks, chest protectors, pants, whatever, whatever you need. Wait till March 13th and check them out at thehockeyshop.com. It'll be on sale. And then the other key date to keep in mind, May 24th, that'll be Tendy Fest 5. Uh, keep an eye on their social media channels for more details over the coming weeks. But that's the date to mark on your calendar, May 24th at Burnaby 8 Rinks in Vancouver. Um, they got a lot of big names and big guests that are set to come. Of course, we'll be there. So that's that's all you really need to know. Um, but those are the key dates. So May 24th, mark it on your calendar now for Tendy Fest 5. And keep an eye on uh, the Hockey Shop and thehockeyshop.com March 13th for the end of season sale and a lot of great savings across all brands. Tendy Fest is a uh, bucket list uh, thing for, for me. And I got there and I was not disappointed just seeing all the gear that you could walk around and try on and then uh, add in the guests. Remember last year who stopped by? Uh, Tristan Jari just happens to be lighting it up in the, in the National Hockey League. I mean, that's... It's an in-goal bump right thing. there. In-goal bump for sure. Yeah. In yeah, exactly, and I uh, had a great chance to uh, to speak with with Tristan Jari, and that's the type of access, and uh, along with the equipment and the reps, and uh, and the people that you can lean on, fitness as well, uh, training. Uh, there's a lot going on at Tendy Fest. So if you if you're in the Lower Mainland area uh, in May, uh, make sure that you are uh, able to uh, to stop by Burnaby Eight Rings on March 13th. Is the uh, the end of season sale? I I, for one, can't wait. You guys, uh, you guys get all the good, good stuff early, but the, the, those of us that are still uh, still heading into the summer and looking for our league teams, it's, it's, it's going to be a, a fun time on well, March 13th. You're hey, always listen. welcome to come and hang out with us and try the gear, Darren. Come on up. No, no, you guys, you guys enjoy it. It's okay. Well, I actually, you know, it's funny. We've had the, the Bauer Ultrasonic out and about getting tested and... Uh, you know, to tie it back to e-bugs and guys wearing gear the first time, like a lot of our testers, like they got to go in right, right, you know, right onto the ice and whether, yeah. like not all these guys are beer leaguers. And so we had one guy who got, who was supposed to wear it this week and he got called up to a junior A team from junior B because they had an injury. And of course, as you mentioned off the top there and junior hockey is in its playoffs. And so he was so eager to try it out that he said, well, I can take it. And I can wear it for warmups as the backup in a junior A playoff game. He's going to wear it on the ice the first time no. on the ice. And I'm like, that ah, might not be the best way to try yeah. a very unique, very different product from what you're used to for the first time. But just goes to show you how eager guys are to have the new stuff. We've been testing the Bauer Ultrasonic. Uh, it looks from a message I saw from CCM, like our CCM Axis is on the way. So might be worth a visit to come up here and check it out, Darren. And on the note of the hockey shop, we may get all the good stuff for free, but uh, and for our testing purpose, of course, not for our personal use. Um, but uh, when I do need stuff, I get it from the hockey shop. Picked up a couple items the other day. After six years, my Warrior Jock finally saw the end of its life cycle, and I picked up another Warrior Jock strap. So um, plug, plug to the product. Uh, not a company we do a lot of direct work with, but that doesn't mean it's a bad product. Like that Jock, picked up another one. I do actually pay retail every once in a while there, and I know that's going to shock you. Uh, not as much as it shocks Hutch, but um, we'll uh, we'll let it slide for. Oh, for hey, this and time. one more note: the other thing I bought was a second set of Bauer, or sorry, Brian's smart cords. We've talked about those oh, before. You did. 
I did, I did, um, to use on, on another set of pads. And, you know, again, we've talked about how we like the, I had to wait on that one because it's been such a popular item the way we've talked about it, that they've sold out twice. But for those who are waiting for the shipment to come back in, they've just got a new one in both white and black at the hockey shop.com. So if you've been waiting on that, go buy them now. Uh, the uh, the idea that the hockey shop has uh, both the the traditional what you'd think of the pads the gloves uh, uh, the pants but also uh, the accessories is is a great uh, source for all your your goaltending needs and and that's the subject of our gear segment this week. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop, source for sports out here in beautiful Surrey, British Columbia. Of course, you can always find them online at thehockeyshop.com. Down here, as usual, in goalie heaven for a little in-person time with Cam Matwiv, the poor SOB who now, after I leave, has to go around and put all the gloves back on the shelves, all the pads back on the shelves, the masks, all the things that I take off and try. Cam, I apologize for that, but I do thank you for your time today. What are we going to talk about? What's, what's the hot topic today? What's the, ne- what's the next thing? As we gear up for the launch of new gear in April, what are we what are we chatting about today? So this is something that specifically applies to me currently right now because I'm actually having a little bit of problems, and it's grip for your stick. Um, I, oh, I thought it was because it's called butt ends, and you're a bit of a butt. Never mind. Womp womp. <laughs> no, but why I'm thinking of something like this, and why I think it's great that we should talk about it is like currently. Um, the tape on my stick has become really gummed up and is really um, like slick. And rather than retaping it, which I probably should, um, and I'm lazy because I hate taping my stick, uh, this product in particular, where I'm holding a butt ends, um, something that actually uh, slides onto the top end uh, of the shaft of your stick and replaces that you know tape butt end that you would do. Um, but it becomes more permanent, and it's actually um, a, a full grip around it, so it'll react a little bit with your blocker. Um, really great control at the top end of your stick, especially for taking shots and whatnot. So it's textured. I took it out of the case, and which means one more thing you have to put away after we leave here today. I took it out of the case, grabbed it. it like you said, it's kind of a preformed rubber grip. If you think of a golf grip, um, and as a guy who golfs and knows the importance of getting re-gripped, getting your clubs re-gripped on an annual, if not every second year at the most basis, like grip matters. This has got a nice texture to it. Uh, it has obviously the, um, you know, sort of the large but end for lack of a better term at the end, the sort of goalie knob at the end. Um, it's easy to apply. I mean, we've never used this, so we're leaning on your expertise here. Uh, what do goalies seem to like about this product? We've seen it obviously online a little bit. I noticed the other day that you sold it in store. What is it that, that attracts goalies to this beyond the simplicity and the consistency of the knob? They don't have to be like Malcolm Subban and do 38 turns every time to get the same knob. When you buy this, it's the same every time. You really kind of hit it on the head there already. It is the ease of simplicity. Um, they're super easy to apply. It basically comes with a, an adhesive spray. So you'll spray the end of the shaft of the stick, slide the grip on on, you're good to go. Um, it stays right. anchored. I was going to say, so that's a new stick, pretty easy. What if you got a stick that did have tape on it before? Maybe there's a little bit of residue. Do you just clean it off and simple? or uh, For the most part, yeah, I would try to get as much of, much of that off as possible. Um, that's where it might be a little bit more difficult, especially if there's some gunk on there and whatnot before, but it is kind of designed to go hand in hand, new stick, new butt ends kind of idea. Okay. And, uh, in terms of taking it off and, you know, you break your favorite stick and you come down here to the hockey shop or you go to the hockey shop.com and you want to transfer the butt end to a new stick. Is that possible? Or do you need to buy a new butt end? Um, ideally, um, with 
the way consumerism works in the world. They are kind of recommending you buy a new one. I haven't personally tried to take one off. I've heard guys be able to do it before. Um, but kind of reading between the lines, it is meant to be, you know, new stick, new buttons, new stick, new button. Okay. I mean, and the reality is for most of us, sticks last a long time. So that's not an unreasonable thing. For I most. Mean, for, well, yeah. Okay. For most. I mean, some of us have fits of anger and smash them over posts. Some of us have a little bit of an issue that way. What can I say? Um, okay. So, and retail price on this is twenty nine ninety nine. comes in a variety of colors. So you can go matchy matchy and look super slick. Um, uh, we talked padskins last week. You got to match the team. You've got a bunch of different colors here. You can find these in person here at the hockey shop source for sports or online at hockeyshop.com. But it's not the only sort of instant grip you have here. You've got one from Tacky Mac that is a lot cheaper at $9.99 compared to the $29.99 price point of the butt end, but a little lesser of a product as well. Not as much texture to it. Um, doesn't come with the spray for application, so you're kind of on your own there. Is this just sort of, for lack of a better term, just a cheaper version? Have you tried this one? Not necessarily, no. Um, it's just, I would say, uh, another alternate option. Yeah, you lose a little bit of the texture, but you still have that same style of rubber grip. Um, the, Not as rounded. It's like the other, the, the butt end's grip is kind of refined. It's got it nice and rounded. A uh, little bit of texture on it. This one's a little more squared off, like if you were taping a stick. Correct. Yeah, it, it almost looks like tape to a bit of a degree. Um, there's obviously a couple more colors because they are full colored as well. Um, whereas the the butt ends remains mostly white, and it's just the accent colors that change. Um, for the command grip applications, a little bit more labor intensive. Um, it actually comes with an adhesive strip that you uh, make wet and then uh, put it on the stick and then slide the grip on. Um, just through experience, that has been. Uh, it's not necessarily the easiest thing to do. Um, but it will go on. It just takes a little bit to, to get there. Okay. So basically you got to put in a little more personal elbow grease to get this one on securely. Yes. Okay. But if you're, if you're looking to save some money, that's an option there. You just don't, you know, again, just not quite as clean, clean an application process, not quite as refined a product. You don't get that as much of that grip as you do with the butt ends. Okay. So there we go. Exactly. That's how you, that's how you, so we're doing all these videos at InGoal of all these different NHL goalies showing us how they tape their sticks. And you're basically selling a product that makes it so they don't have to. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about this, especially since we got, we got actually readers telling us their kids are watching the videos and retaping their sticks like four times. So what we should be concentrating on is the fact that I am increasing your stick tape budget as opposed to you selling products that undercuts my ability to, to run these videos. So I'm fake angry at you, Cam. I'm just kidding. Thanks for taking the time to walk us through butt ends and command grip, your option to get an easy grip on the end of your stick, consistent knob every time. Cam, the hockey shop, source for sports, thehockeyshop.com. If anybody has questions on colors, applications, or sticks, because they need them, where can they get a hold of you? At 604-589-8299. Perfect. Butt ends from the ultimate butt head, Cam Matwiv here at the hockey shop, source for sports. You thought I was going to go somewhere else with that, didn't you? <laughs> Dude, our audience is too young to even know what that is. Okay. From the Hockey Shop Source for Sports, until next time and the next latest great gear innovation, thanks, Cam, for your time. Thanks. That's a great product. Uh, and, uh, and it comes, I mean, there's, there's some that, uh, that obviously you can get different sizes in and, uh, and, and different products, uh, with color, but, uh, just, just curious because tape, you have the flexibility of, of color and changing, uh, the national hockey league does have that rule about a white 
but end. Uh, any any concerns? Any uh, thoughts on that? The butt ends product is actually white with just like a little bit of colored trim, and I and I don't think. As a matter of fact, we've seen NHL goaltenders use it without having to wrap white tape around it, so that's not a problem. The other product I talked about there is a solid one color piece. So, I mean, you can get it white, you can get it blue. They had pink, they had red, they had green, they had all kinds of colors in stock. Uh, I guess if you use that and you make it to the National Hockey League, you got to wrap a piece of white tape around the knob at the end because um, the rules say it needs to be white. But I got to be honest with you. I mean, I've actually been in the locker room and had that conversation. I think I was the one who let Thatcher Demko know when he went to his black stick for the Canucks retro night that he couldn't use that black tape all the way up to the knob. Um, and yet, you know, recently, I think it might have been his Maple Leafs debut. I watched Jack Campbell play the whole game with a solid blue knob. So it seems to be one of those rules. And we'll have to we'll have to get Kay to give us an answer on this, whether it's just a matter of the referee noticing or not, or whether the other team has to raise it as an issue. Um, otherwise, it, it, at times, I got to be honest with you, it seems to be so random. And, you know, maybe I'm missing something, but frankly, it seems to be a little bit asinine that it's a rule in general. No? Antiquated. I understand why... Uh, why before video review and high def and uh, et cetera, that a goal judge may think that, that a butt end could be a, a puck. Uh, but nowadays, uh, yeah, it's one of those ones that, uh, Hey, if we're going to change offside, we can change, we can, we can let that one just, just run its course and, and, and go to pasture. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. Uh, so as we, we talk about progress there, let's, uh, step back in time and go through the, uh, the world of mask making and the evolution of uh, what we wear to protect our faces and our heads from the old days of nothing at all to the most primitive and uh, initial uh, phase of Jacques Plante and into the, the guru of mask making. Greg Harrison spent a, uh, a good deal of time with David Hutchison discussing his time in the business, his time around the world of, uh, of hockey and goaltending in particular. I grew up as a goaltender in the early 70s when we all wore fiberglass masks with iconic, bold designs on them. And recently I bumped into arguably the most famous mask maker and artist of all time. Our guest today on the In Goal Radio podcast is Mr. Greg Harrison. Greg's clients are a who's who of 70s, 80s, 90s goaltending. Too many to name here, but literally hundreds of pro goaltenders from Graton to Rutherford, Liute, Davidson, Potvin, Belfour, Curtis Joseph, many more. He was an innovative artist, but he's also the man behind the combo cage we all wear today as a builder. He was a pro rep for Cooper, as a collector of vintage gear. He was even a practice goaltender who nearly had his own David Ayers moment, something we'll get to a little bit later in our chat, but... You know, it feels like we're only going to scratch the surface, but let's dig in. How did it all begin? I basically started when I was going to high school. And I had a fellow that was a year older than me that played at Neil McNeil High School uh, named Doug Hutchison. And his dad, Ken, had made his mask. And uh, at the time, you either wore an ill-fitting store-bought mask or you attempted to make your own. Now they showed me how they did it. And I attempted a couple of, uh, I wouldn't call them futile attempts, but I knowing now what I know about math, they weren't very good, but they were at least a start. And I loved Terry Sawchuk. 
and the design, uh, although I wasn't familiar with, with how the design was done, I made my attempt to copy it. And um, from what they, from the Hutchinsons had instructed me. Um, and I made two versions of that. Uh, unfortunately, I was going with a girl uh, trying to impress her at one point and gave a pair of homemade goalie gloves and that original mask to him to use uh, for him to use uh, to play road hockey. And unfortunately they got stolen mm-hmm. out of his garage and God knows where that one is. But the second one was virtually identical, which I still have. Um, and then uh, after that, when I was going to, uh, when I played for Toronto Nats, uh, another probably not as well known, but to me just as famous uh, a mask maker was a fellow by the name of Roy Weatherby. And he, ha- he had done the early, I always call them bar masks, but everyone seems to assign the name pretzel mask to them. Um, he did uh, Doug Favell, Bernie Perrant, uh, um, Dunk Wilson, Jacques Caron, uh, those early uh, pretzel masks. And uh, uh, his, his son, Wayne, was again a year ahead of me uh, playing for Toronto Nats. And I had talked to him and, and asked him to show me the techniques that he used. He made the full fiberglass ones as well as the, the bar masks. And uh, he didn't have to, and, and I certainly appreciate that he did, but he showed me the proper kind of resins for strength and flexibility and basically got me started into making a strong mask because the the initial masks that I made were made of Canadian tire repair kits uh, for your <laughs> oh, really? for your car. And I, I mean, knowing <laughs> now with with the the resins and glass that I use now and have used all along, it was just a functional fiberglass product. It certainly had no strength or flexibility characteristics to it. And, um, so I, I started then initially, uh, making a couple more masks for myself out of what he had taught me. And at the time I didn't have my own design yet. And so when everyone requested a mask, I would, they would say, I want one that looks like Lefty Wilson's mask out of Detroit, or I want an Ernie Higgins style Mm -hmm. mask out of. Boston or, or the goalie like Jockerman or somebody's mask that they recognize. And then the Esposito style, which was, was the plant style he wore in St. Louis. Uh, the one he got hit in the head with a slap shot from Stanfield. So there were those masks that people liked. Uh, and I would make those. What really got me going in masks was I worked for four summers at the Bobby or Mike Walton camp in Aurelia and uh, I was a goalie instructor there and then I started to make masks for for kids very simple very you know very crude by today's standards but that's what sort of got so what year is that about what years Uh, I was there from uh, uh, 68 to 72 and then 
And then you got your first NHL client from there? Yes. Rutherford and Jim Rutherford and John Garrett were both at the camp as goalie instructors. And they both tried mine. Rutherford was with Pittsburgh then. And he asked for a mask like Jockerman, which was an Ernie Higgins style mask, which I painted blue for him to be in Pittsburgh. And he, because he, when he played for Hamilton Red Wings, and then he, when, he, when he went to Detroit first, he wore a Lefty Wilson mask that was painted red, just plain red. So when he went to Pittsburgh, okay. I did a solid color of this sort of aquamarine blue. But uh, I actually used a, a paint that was used for boats that I found. And that's, that's what it was. And then uh, Garrett uh, was playing for the Portland Buckaroos then uh, in, the, okay. in the minors. And I did one for him. Also a, a more full coverage Ernie Higgins style mask. And then um, as time went on, I did Rutherford, as I said, I did Rutherford's then. Well, sorry, if we, if we can, I mean, Rutherford, you started with the blue, you, you did the one in Detroit for him too, though. And, and wasn't that, that was really a, an important mask in a sense that when you went from the solid color to the design you did there and he wasn't super happy about what you did, was he? No, initially, well, he, it was, I don't think it was that he wasn't happy of what I did. Um, I think the case was. He had been with Detroit. They traded him to Pittsburgh, and then he got traded back to Detroit, and he didn't want to go back to Detroit. Okay. But uh, what happened was he, it just so happened that they were playing in Toronto a couple days later once he got traded from Pittsburgh. Detroit was playing in Toronto. So I actually picked it up. He arranged for me to, to pick it up at the flower shop of the Skyline Hotel then near the airport. <laughs> he knew somebody there. And he, I picked up the mask, uh, had to sand it down because it was getting kind of beat up at that point. Sanded it down, painted it white. And at that time, I had started to put colored straps on any mask I was making, depending on the color. I had, the masks were then attached with elastic and um, a buckle and a leather strap. So I had red, red straps made. I put it on the mask and I hung it up. I was doing it in my parents' garage at the time. And I hung it up and I went, it looks pretty plain, pretty boring. So I, there was a mm-hmm. product back then you could get for, for doing illustrations uh, of anything, basically illustrating a car, piece of furniture, whatever. And it was called MacDack. I remember it. My father used it for me. Yeah, so it 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 basically would let you see, you know, before computers and everything else, what what it was going to look like. So I cut out these two wings roughly, placed them over the eyes, and hung them up at the end of my parents' garage. And I thought that looks pretty good. So I took it off, and then I drew it by hand, and then painted the wings on it, and brought it to him the next morning, and uh, like. He didn't make a big deal about not liking it, but he wasn't that happy that it, he was, he was a player that didn't like a lot of attention. He just did his job and that was it. And I think it, it got him a lot of attention. And initially, if there was any trepidation on his part, it soon changed to uh, appreciation because he, he liked it and it stayed and people liked it and it added a little more color 
to the game rather than just plain colors or stripes or whatever. It, it gave something uh, to the masks. And then as time went on, being in Toronto, uh, when Favell got traded to Toronto, I did um, I did his mask. He had had the, the famous pumpkin orange mask, the Halloween prank in Philadelphia. And, the, yeah, right. and then the starburst done on it. They were both done by Frank Lewis, the uh, equipment manager for the Flyers. And then when, when Favell got traded to Toronto, initially that same mask got painted white. And Frank mm-hmm. told me, he said he went out to the front of his house, pulled off a maple leaf off, off one of his trees, laid it on the forehead, traced it out, and, <laughs> and painted the leaf over the top of the no forehead kidding. with the with the stem on the middle of the nose. Now, when when I talked to Vavel trying to get him to try it, I did more full head mask and then put the leaf right in the, in the middle. And then even after I finished it initially, I got it back at one point and made the leaf a little bigger. And then I made him another one altogether, which he then used even after when he went to Colorado. And the leaf encompassed more of the face. And I did Dunk Wilson's in a starburst mask, both of those guys with Toronto. After that, when Wayne Thomas came to Toronto, that's when I developed my own angular uh, mask to deflect the puck, you know, not just a functional piece of fiberglass. It was designed to deflect the puck, which most people recognize as the, the Thomas mask or the Lee mask or the Wayne Stevenson mask or Gary Smith. So bef- before we dive into that too, too much, just let's remind everybody because we obviously have a lot of listeners who weren't around in the, in the sixties and seventies to see the development of the mask, but it, it used to be that you would just mold a guy's head and, and build a mask to that shape. And they were all fairly round, as I recall, uh, fairly smooth. Um, so then what gave you the idea that we wanted to change that a little bit? And I mean, this was a huge innovation that, that still holds today. I can't take full credit for that because just prior to me, a couple of years prior to my that change in the design, there was a fellow named Jacques Blanc that was around. You may have heard. Yes, you may have heard of him. I might have heard of him, and I wore one of his masks too as a child. That when he came to Toronto, that's when they had just developed the uh, the Blanc mask meant to deflect the shots more, and the, the the idea was there, you know, to to take the major impact away by deflection um a funny story with plant i had never met him prior to me uh having somebody request a mask and i did a few uh that looked like the plant mask and i i would have been 18 then and i made a mask that looked like plant went down to a leaf practice uh wanted to see what he thought of it and and I had it sitting on the board wow. at practice and he skated by slowly and looked at the mask and just kept going. And then he skated around again and as he got towards me and the mask sitting on the board, he said, You make another one of those masks and I will sue you. No <laughs> and kidding. that was my first experience with Jock. And then 
the next time I, I saw him in person was in Philadelphia when he was the goal coach for Perrant and Phil Meir. And I was fitting Phil Meir with a cage combination that I had made. And I was adjusting the straps and the chin strap. And he came over and he sat beside me. And he looked at the mask and he goes, that's the best mask I ever see for the goaler. And he got up and he walked. Oh, and nice. he walked away. And that was the only the only two times I ever had any meeting with him or, you know, got to talk to him at all. Yeah. And that was it. So. Wow. But, uh, so, so do you develop a business like this just because word gets around? It's word of mouth between the guys in the league? Yeah. Well, what happened uh, when I did, like, I, I wanted to have a mask that sort of was like a plant mask at that time, but I wanted my own design. And Dryden had had uh, his mask made, the, the most famous one that he's known for. He had Ken Dryden, Ken Dryden. in Montreal, yeah. right? Yeah, he had yeah. the... Because Dave, Dave will come into the story later, yeah. his brother. Um, and the, the mask that he had was actually made by another fellow named James Homus out of Ottawa who had done a lot of the early WHA masks because of the, the locale that he was in there with Ottawa having a, a team. Um, he was a firefighter. And the mask he made for Dryden, he made the shell, but it was uh, cut out and painted by a friend of Ken's named uh, Carl Lamb. And uh, the design, although interesting, to me had way too many holes in it, like way too many triangles. Uh, it was an interesting design, but if you see the mask, it's beat to hell like a lot of the earlier ones mm -hmm. did because they didn't change them every three weeks like they do now for a new paint job um for sure but uh they were used and well used and they weren't they weren't protected by a mask bag they were just thrown in the bag with uh all the rest of your equipment and traveled and got used and hit so there's a certain amount of fiberglass that's got to be there to protect you so i I like the rounded edge triangle idea as a design. So I developed a, a shape uh, that used the sort of interlocking rounded edge triangles, used them along the edge the same way, and then up above the forehead. So it gave you a mask that gave you a deflection technique and was fairly, was, was good and strong. And then for, for fellows, uh, you were asking about word of mouth. I had done Thomas's, and then I I had to deliver a mask. I did a mask for, for Dennis Heron in Pittsburgh, and it was a, a smaller-style Higgins mask. He had worn a mask, whatever it was, whoever made it. He got hit, and the mask literally split in half, and they called me. Dennis wow. could barely speak English at the time, and he called me and and they sent him to a hotel in, in by the airport. I did his mold, and then he flew back to Pittsburgh. But he called me, and he goes, Hello, Greg Harrison. Dennis Aaron, mm -hmm. Pittsburgh Penguins. You make my mask? That's all he said. And I used a <laughs> bit of my high school French to converse with him and uh, did the mask, and I delivered it to the Atlanta trainer, Norm Mackey, in Toronto uh, before a game. And as a result of doing that, uh, I did Phil Mears in Atlanta. Then, then it just started to 
I, I would, I would go down and see players in, in Buffalo and Detroit and Toronto and introduce myself and talk to them about masks and show them my product. And the one thing that I did, uh, Roy Weatherby had showed me the proper kind of resins and everything to use, but the mm-hmm. masks were still very crude, you know, strong as hell, but not finished. Uh, Right. Rough edges in many Me- many cases, and I I believe that when you got hit, you want to reduce the chance of anything cutting you as much as possible. So my masks were done, mm-hmm. sanded inside and out, finished completely, and then once they were finished, uh, I seal them again with a layer of resin, and then wet sand them, and then they're ready ready for paint. So there was no rough edges on mine uh, at all, and that's. I think that's what sort of impressed people as well as the the fit is the fit was very important. So if we could just step back a second and, and again, for the folks who aren't as familiar with the time period, um, the idea of the angles, you, you, you talked about deflecting and, and, and angles. Uh, some of those original masks were a little bit more like a, I guess a player's helmet today in the sense that you could get an impact and it would be fairly, sort of straight on, on, onto a flat surface or a flatter surface. Yeah. And the idea of the angles on the mass is to make sure that as many impacts as possible are, are simply at an angle deflecting off. So you're not absorbing the full impact. Is that, was that the, the concept? Yes. And, and also the importance of a, of a fit, um, because of the custom mass. And this is what Roy taught me is, you know, when you, when you've got something made for your face, it's better than having something that that's not made for your face because uh, where you've got any kind of pressure is where you're going to take the impact. Now, in theory that works and it does work for the most part, but you still have a mask that's sitting right on your face. You know, there was, cause there, cause there were no foams. There were no foams. It was fiberglass on well, face, right? Well, in the case of Ernie Higgins, he did put, foam in his earlier ones didn't have as much if you look at early shots of cheevers um um the uh the mask is much more close to his face where the later ones and and the ones that he made for like eddie johnson and so on there was foam in it and and the production mm-hmm. mask that he did like jim craig's for instance is a higgins mask um and it there's padding in it where mine, I used very little padding, mostly over the forehead. And that was it. Little, little strips in the forehead. Now I was, once I made the cage combination mask, uh, I was still wearing the older one. I hadn't made one for myself and I had a, a Liute style one on and, um, Nick Boynton who played for Boston, uh, his dad, Neil, played in the league with me up in, in Bolton, Ontario. And he came in one day and he he got all of a slap shot just inside the circle. And I only had time to mm. basically wince and try and get out of the way. And when I did, it pulled my eyebrow down into the eye hole area and it just laced me wide open. I was wow. cut. And... Um, I'll never forget when I went to the hospital, you're in the waiting room waiting to see the doctor and, you know, they're 
the nurse will chat you up and say, you know, what do you do for a living and blah, blah, blah. And I said, I made goalie masks. <laughs> and he could hear her go into the, into the next room talking to the doctor. And she says, and you know what he does? He makes goalie masks. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm cut right off. Not a lot of those. Yeah. So the next, the next week I wore a, a Cajun helmet. And the following week I had a cage combination mask made for myself and never. Okay. 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 So this is, so this is a big step here. Yeah. This is a big step here. So you were in sort of that traditional fiberglass composite mask that, uh, that we all see as iconic. And, and now you're just throwing in here the cage combo, but that's a, well, it, that's the mask we see today that this is a huge innovation here. So, so tell us a little bit more about that. What, what year are we talking about now? And then, and then tell me a little bit about the thinking process here. 77 was, was the year I had at that point, I had been making other cage combinations for other guys, but I, had, I hadn't finished one for myself to go back to the beginning of the cage combination. Yeah. It was, uh, when I was working for Cooper as the pro rep, um, I was making masks for other guys and always just the fiberglass ones. The cage combination wasn't around then. Okay. Dave Dryden, who is Ken's brother, really doesn't get enough uh, notoriety or, or attention for modifying a lot of equipment that, that ended up coming around. And he would come in to Cooper and he'd say, you know, for instance, on a catching glove, do we need, do we need all this leather everywhere? Can we not lighten it up? And they'd put, he'd say, you know, mm. put, put some nylon on the back of the catching glove, make the cuff out of nylon with the same padding, but with nylon instead of leather, make the palm still leather, make the strap still leather. And he'd have a glove made. And then the next thing you know, it's in the line for the next year, but he never got credit for it. The arm pads and chest protector combination is as a result of him tinkering around with, with things and making adjustments to it. The same with the nylon on the pad, including nylon on the front of the pad, as well as the side, which didn't work. I remember that. Uh, I remember I was playing for York and uh, they were, uh, wanting just to try different things at different times. And they brought a pair of these all nylon pads one day and you'd make a, a double leg pad slide, you know, to make a safe. And you just keep sliding into the corner because it was, <laughs> there was no, nothing to stop it. And I said, these are no good. Get rid of these. Anyways, I'm getting a little <laughs> off subject here. Dave, Dave came in one day and I just happened to be up in the, in the design department talking about something else. Dave came in and he had the front half of an SK 600 helmet. He had the cage, an HM 30 cage on the front of it and a back piece from one of mm -hmm. his masks. He said, I want a mask that'll fit like a fiberglass mask, but it'll give me the eye protection of the cage. And then design departments, Oh no, it's gotta be a helmet. We, we won't make that. I said, Dave, I'll, I'll design that. So that's mm. how it came about. And what I did is I made, I made the shell. Uh, I, I basically, it's never changed from the forehead area where it had a, an area for the foam and the sweatband and the angles to deflect the puck above the eyes. The sides and the bottom mm -hmm. changed and the configuration of the cage changed. I had two 
two separate custom cages made um, at the time, uh, which I ended up using one on on Dave's and used another one on on one I did for Ken. And then after that, I knew I it was going to get expensive to to make them because of the because cage? of the cage. You know, it, it was a premium to get something custom made. There was no jigs or anything. They just made these up. And uh, mm-hmm. it was done by uh, a company uh, that had done the cages for Cooper at the time. And so what I did then was the subsequent ones, I modified how the bottom fit because I wasn't satisfied with the arrangement I had in the chin. And I knew it wasn't sort of optimum for the protection because you still were taking a major impact in the chin. So uh, mm-hmm. originally I had foam built up there to kind of add a cushion, but I knew that it wasn't good enough. So then I started to use, and the other redesigned one, I started to use like a football chin cup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't at the right angle for the most part. And it was cutting into guys underneath the their lip. So then I, I got a foam chin piece out of another type of helmet and I trimmed it and shaped it the way I wanted. And then I had them made that way. And that's what became the, the norm. And that's what you need. You need something that's both protective from a cushion standpoint and acts as a suspension. So it, it virtually makes the whole mask absorb the shock the way a full face mask would, but with better protection. And right. and then I, I used an HM30 cage for the longest time and I cut it down, but it, it was never at the right angle and it was never... Uh, they changed the design of it and made a flimsy center bar, uh, which I didn't like, and it stuck out way too far. And when I did Alan Vester's mask, a cage combination in Toronto, he said, can we not make the cage closer so it's not as interfering with my sight lines? Because if, you, if you've got something that sticks out far from your face, it's always going to be there. But as you bring it closer, you, your eyes look beyond that. You don't even see it. It disappears. Right. So I then took, along with a, a steel wire company, designed my own cage out of stainless steel and made it made a jig myself. And then I, they would let me come in and weld it together. And uh, I made my own cages from then on. And I always have. And that's the mask we see today everywhere. Yeah. In, in it was essentially, isn't the, it? Yeah. The cages I made two two styles of cages, one with a uh, a long cage, and then one with that you'll see that goes down and splits the center bar splits. So you got that sort mm-hmm. of V design at both top and the bottom. Uh, pot pot mm-hmm. bands, for instance, is a a long cage. Belfours was a long cage, and uh, basically I started. Initially, it was, you know, it went just to the ear and then it would go up over the forehead. And then I made them so they went back further beyond the ear and up higher on the top. And with the back piece, there's a, there was left, nothing left uh, by chance to get hit in the head. You were covered everywhere. It's really allowed them to get certified. They wouldn't certify them originally. 
when I when I brought them to CSA and heck in the States, they yep. said, no, we'll never pass this. It's got to be a helmet. I said, no, it's not going to be a helmet. It never will be a helmet. This is what's safe for a goalie. It's designed for a goalie by a goalie. And you don't look straight ahead. You don't look straight down to the ice. Your neck is kind of kinked back. So you need that flexibility in the back of your head. So the, the back piece, which I built ridges into, so if they fell, you know, you weren't, you weren't falling directly on the skull either. Mm-hmm. And they said, no, we won't ever pass this. And I figured, okay, fine. I never bothered to protect myself because I figured they were going to never let me, you know, produce it. And uh, after two years of making it for the NHL, uh, nobody was getting hurt, no concussions, no cuts. Uh, with anyone wearing that style of mask. And then a friend of mine who was still a designer at, at Cooper's, his name was Len Clement, he said to me, uh, CSA is looking at passing your kind of mask now. You should go to the meetings. And I went, and there was already four guys trying to copy me, and they weren't. Oh, they weren't so sorry, when, when, when you said before you didn't bother to protect yourself, you meant with, with a, patent. a patent. No, no. Yeah. I wish I, oh, I wish I had a dollar for everyone that's produced right now. I would be sitting pretty, you know. I guess but, so. But um, uh, they wouldn't listen to me at the CSA meetings. They kept, you know, their test is to take and, and mount it on a bar and slam it in the side of a of a bench. That's their idea of testing it. Mm-hmm. I said, you got to put something inside these that will measure how much impact is being transferred to the brain. I can have a hunk of steel that's mm-hmm. strong as hell, but it's not going to stop a puck. It's not going to protect you. No. And uh, they wouldn't listen to me. And these other guys are all trying to pick my brain. And I just said, go ahead. You do whatever you want. I'm out of here. I went to like four meetings and that was the end of it. And they ended up passing them. Um, so that's a bit of history that not many people know. That's a great bit of history. Thank you. If we could just, uh, step back here a little bit to some of the more famous artwork that you've done. And, and for me, uh, it has to be uh, the Gilles Gratton mask, the, uh, the lion. And, uh, and can you talk to me a little bit about uh, Gratton's mask, the inspiration, and, and maybe a little bit about the man as well? He was a character. Um, anybody that played with him will tell you the same thing. Um, I had spoken to him. Uh, prior to doing his mask about making him one. And he, he didn't really give me an answer either way. He said he'd think about it. And one, what happened, he was with the Rangers at this time. And in a game on a Sunday night, I believe it was, uh, he ended up wearing three masks. Uh, the homeless mask that he had out of Ottawa and two different cage ones. He wore a Joppa, I believe. And I don't even know what the other one, probably it may be a Cooper with an HM30 or something on the front, but he, he actually wore three masks, one for each period in that game. And he lost wow. and he lost. <laughs> so what happened was he called me right after the game and he said, I want to come and get a mask molded by you. I said, okay. So he flew in. I met him at the airport on a Tuesday, brought him to my house, did his mold. And then when we're done doing the mold, I said, now, I said, have you got anything you might want to tell me about the design? I I think in mind, I said, have you got a nickname? 
he said my nickname is the Count. He he thought he was <laughs> uh, a Count from back in the day, and and that was Re- reincarnated, reincarnated, right? yes, and. The, yeah, and then past life. I said I could have done, I said I can do something to do with the Rangers. Or I said, what's your astrological sign? He says, I'm a Leo. I said, okay. There you I go. said, let me, like, he's done interviews where, you know, he thought he was a reincarnated jungle cat. Well, he might have thought, but that's not what was in the conversation with me. It was just simply the Leo. Okay. So I did the, I, I ran with the Leo design. And what I did was, I finished the mask literally uh, the, the Tuesday did the mold. The mask was finished at midnight on a Friday night, the, the actual shell. Then I started, okay. then I started the paint and the paint was done like an oil painting. It wasn't airbrushed. That's all done by hand with, with urethane paints done. As I said, like an oil painting it took me 12 hours, mm-hmm. 12 hours to paint it. I finished it at noon. The next day, I uh, I had what I call my little easy bake oven, which was just a little two two element oven with a little um, oven underneath, and that's what I use to speed things up to dry the mask a little quicker. I just use it to warm the mask and and dry the paint quickly. Put it together, put it in a box, and at that time you could go literally to the airport and. In essence, you were you're almost buying a seat on the airplane to get the box to an express delivery the next day in New York. Actually, it okay. arrived that night. It arrived that night, and then he went and picked it up. Apparently, this is where I have to rely on on his version of it. Uh, he had it in the box under his bench, and that night he mm-hmm. he went out in the warm up wearing something else. And then when the ma- when the game started, he put the mask on, came out wearing the mask, and it got more press. Uh, the next day, it was all over the papers. Um, uh, it was in a an issue of Time magazine on the same page as the Queen. One day, um, he <laughs> oh, it was a massive leap forward. Yeah, well, it was crazy because I didn't even think about it. I just did it, you know, and. Um, uh, I went to see him one time and in, in, in Toronto when they came, when New York came in and he literally was doing an interview with the microphone up to the mask. He was wearing the mask, doing the interview. And uh, <laughs> that's how much press he got for it. And, and he had a beard at the time and there's a few shots. I just found one the other day. I'd never seen this angle and, and, and it shows him snarling like with the mask beside his face. You know? So he almost looks like it. <laughs> a couple of years ago or about a year and a half ago um there was a book on Gio done by greg oliver and uh i went to the book launch and Gio signed a copy to me and said to greg thanks very much for doing this mask for me people remember me because of you so <laughs> that's awesome gratuni the loony the wild unpredictable life of Gilles Gratton is the book yeah. We'll, uh, we'll we'll leave a link to that in our show notes. One time, one time they uh, the story goes there was a concert the night before, and uh, uh, in between periods one day they're trying to find Gretan. They can't find him anywhere, and he's not in the dressing room. 
and they go outside and there's Gatan and his goalie equipment on a piano playing the piano in the down the hallway. So that's awesome. There's also there's also a story of him wearing nothing but a jock and a helmet on the ice, isn't that right? That a mask, I should that say. That one I don't know, but I'm sure other people could confirm that one. Um is there a, is there a mask that's your what would be your top 3 of the ones that you've done? Oh god. Your favorites. Uh, it's that's always very difficult. I mean, I there are ones I definitely did not like because of certain situations that happened with them. Uh, but Uh-oh. but of ones of ones I like, I'd have to say Balfour is is one. Uh, the first two Balfours that I did, uh, like with him, he was Ed Balfour before I did his mask. After I did his mask, he was Eddie the Eagle. Uh, he right. had when we discussed what what he said he'd like on the mask. He wanted a hawk. Like a, the regular hawk bird, and I said to him, "Like the, right. the hawk, unfortunately, Eddie is a is a mottled feathered bird. It it doesn't stand out at all. It's not going to look that good." I said, "How about we do an eagle against the red and black background? It'll look really good." So he said, "Okay." And at that time, uh, it was around the '88 Olympics where the unsuccessful e jumper Eddie the Eagle had been. Of course. Around, and I, I'm told that Keenan started calling uh, Belfort Eddie the Eagle, and, and it just caught, and he he made that his sort of moniker from then on. The other one that I I liked was uh, was Pot Vans. Um, it went through a few love that few transitions initially. There's about three or four that a lot of people don't even know. Um, you know, the, the evolution of the one with the teeth. Originally, it started based on um, one of the characters from the show Cat. Uh, I used part of the features of that to initially start Felix's mask. And then I involved it into the teeth. And then everywhere he went, I kept the same. That was the other thing that I always tried to do is try to give a goalie an identity. And it stayed with him. So the people, no matter where it was seen in the in the stands, on the television, in press, you could tell that was so and so's mask because that's him. And nowadays, and I miss that. That was that was great. Yeah. The, being able to see that. I, there's a there's a few guys still doing that, but but nothing like, not many. like when you started. That. Not many. I mean, they changed masks like crazy. I could never get that much mask approval you know from teams they were also cheap most of the time and they never wanted to, <laughs> wanted to pay for things like joseph's joseph's uh st louis mask the the uh the right. trumpet it took 11 months for them to pay for that mask and i oh and gosh. i changed a couple cages on it would touch up the paint job put new foam in it and uh <laughs> as i said i never charged them for any of that do you ever do you ever look at guys today? I mean, just talking about about that and and the trend of giving people a personality. Do you, do you ever look at guys today and sort of pull out the sketchbook and wonder what you might do for for someone like a Freddie Anderson or, you know, I mean, I say that because you're in Toronto, but but what if you were painting today for someone in the I show? I wouldn't. 
Any ideas? I wouldn't uh, change much as far as my style uh, because I think it it was important. The problem is, and I never took a lot of input from the players. In fact, most of them would just say, you go ahead and do something, which was good for me because I never liked doing sketches first. I only did it in a few occasions. And the problem is, the design would evolve as I'm trying to do it on the mask. The, the curvature of the mask, the shape of the mask, the way that the holes might be located would alter the design. And I'd always change it a bit to, to work with that. Or I would, if I really had it laid out first, I would lay out the design prior to doing the holes and I'd move the holes while well, keeping the same design. I might move them half an inch or a quarter of an inch and it wouldn't be drastic but it, it it makes the design flow a lot better and i felt by doing a design ahead of time and getting an approval on a on a flat paper draft that it might not turn out that way you know it might not look the same once right. you once you lay it on the map so i i really haven't uh i, I think i would sort of the way I've seen some of the masks done now, I like, there's a few airbrush artists that I really like. I love Todd Miska's stuff. Um, he, he painted along similar lines to me. Definitely a distinctive style. Yeah. Um, uh, Eye Candy Air. Steve Nash Steve in Nash, Toronto as well. I like, yep. I like his work. Jesse in the Massachusetts area, I like his. Syllabrush, uh, mm-hmm. I like their work. But there's a lot of very talented airbrush artists that are out there, but they they go a little too far. And I and I don't profess to be a great airbrush artist. I I was at best sort of a a beginner airbrush artist. I call myself because I basically used an airbrush in a in like an industrial way where I just enhance things by airbrushing. Like I never could quite master mm-hmm. it. I I never liked the, the the lack of control that you had with the airbrush. Like it, it would like get away from you and do what you didn't want it to do. And I never mm-hmm. I never liked that. I I wished I could sort of practice a little more and and do it. And I and I might if I had a I've seen masks today and they're done similar to what I would have done. The latest one that I saw that I liked was uh, nobody got to see it because it was done right at the end. It was Hutchison's, the one that was done in Toronto. Um, there mm-hmm. was a mass that was done. I don't, I don't know who did that one, but I liked the way that the design was, and they sort of sh- shadowed the leaf done in a certain way. And it was it was edged like it was faceted, like a like it was raised off the the mask. Was that it was, was kind of cool. I may get it wrong, but I think I know that one of his painters has been David LaRue out of Montreal, who does in many ways remind me of some of the stuff that you did because it's got a, a very bold look to everything that he well, does. Well, that was that was the thing that that I always tried to do. Like, y- you want it to be distinctive so you can see what it is. And, I, and I, that was the idea, that most of my designs were like three-quarter over the top. So you could see the design on television because that's the angle for the most part that it's shot at. Um, and you could see what it was 
as I said earlier, from the stands, from uh, photographs. But now, like, you'll focus in on a lot of these guys, and there's so much going on, and there's not enough separation between what's going on there, and you can't tell what it is, in addition to it being a dog's breakfast. And it's really not, it's not, I don't mean to offend anybody, but there's just too much going on. Well, I mean, you've, you've, you've credited lots of the current artists as people that you really enjoy, so I don't think you're offending. One of the things I enjoy about a lot of the, the current ones, and, and I agree about the detail uh, from far, but, but many of the artists you mentioned have this way of creating a design that from, from one distance you can certainly see and recognize, but then the closer you get, more elements are, are revealed. Yeah. And, uh, and I enjoy that level of detail. Yeah, well, I, I just, like, uh, to me, it's, it's too much on, on what it's being used on. That's basically, like, and there are a lot mm. of, there's a lot of guys that are, that are, I wouldn't call it cheating, but there's not, there's decals used. Um, uh, there's, you know, paint masks used to achieve, uh, and that's great, you know, but it, you're not totally airbrushing. Like there's, there's some of these portraits and stuff that are done. There's no way that these things are done that small on on the mass there's no way you can get that detail making it that small hmm. some are done but i think there's a lot that are decals that are water decals that are then airbrushed around and finish finish the mass that way some incredible work for sure so i promised you about half an hour and here we are pushing an hour um your stories are incredible i i didn't want to I didn't want to miss the fact that you were a practice goaltender for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And we literally a week ago saw the David Ayers story. Yeah. Um, tell us about being a practice goalie for the Leafs and, and those times you came very close to being David Ayers. Um, basically, we used to play at the garden Sunday night. The, the trainers, the, uh, the various uh, equipment company reps, and other friends, we used to play on Sunday nights at the gardens. We had a couple hours. So one time, um, uh, Bob Stellick was pacing around him and this, and this brother Gord played with us too. And he's pacing around like crazy. I said, what's the matter? He goes, ah, he says, I got to find a goalie for practice tomorrow morning. Fear's got to have a root canal. So I, I jokingly said, I'll do it. And he laughed and he walked out of the room and, uh, so he come back about five minutes later and he goes, were you serious to what you were talking about, what you said? And I said, no, I wasn't. But I said, I wouldn't mind trying it. He goes, okay. Yeah. He said, we, we play it. We're on the ice tomorrow morning at 10 at Varsity Arena. Um, be there at nine o'clock. And I said, okay, now I'm shitting myself. Cause now, <laughs> now I got to put my money where my mouth is. And I, and I went and I did okay. And from then on, for the next 13 years, I was their practice goalie. Whenever they had a guy that might have a nagging injury or they might play that night and he wasn't going to practice, or for whatever reason they needed it, I was their practice goalie. And uh, twice, one time, Damian Rhodes wasn't yet with the lease. He was in the minors, I believe, in St. John. And they were trying to get him in because someone had got hurt. I practiced in the morning. Mike Murphy said to me, he was the assistant coach then, 
He goes, Harry says, uh, we might need you tonight. Are you available? I go, yeah. So I get sent <laughs> this other kid from, I think he was in Brantford named David Schill. And, uh, they sent him to go and replace Rhodes. But as a result of the snowstorm, they couldn't get him in all the way. So they chose at the last minute to bring him back. And he got there just before the game and he dressed. He dressed instead. They made me a jersey. I still have the jersey. And then the other. What number? 40. I, I, at that time, was 39 years old. And they they said, we got (laughs) to make you a jersey. What number would you like? And I said, well, give me one closest to my age, 40. So I've worn worn 40 ever since. And then uh, the other time was Felix Potvin was was with the Leafs. And his wife was pregnant. And she was in labor the night before the game. All day, I practiced in the morning. Murphy was the, the coach then. And he said, Harry, he says, we, uh, we might need you tonight with Patron's wife still expecting and in labor. And they said, are you available? I go, yeah, no problem. So, again, uh, I think Patron's wife had the, the baby around 5.30, finally. And then I was ready to go and uh Potvin showed up just before the warm-up and and uh um he dressed instead he didn't play but he dressed and i oh, so i have shame. two jerseys of the almost and i ended up uh i did dress four games with the hamilton canucks in the american hockey okay yeah. i go. got a call one friday and they said we understand you're the least practice goalie and I said, yes. And I said, well, one of our goalies got hurt. Would you be available to dress tonight? And I said, sure. So I went, signed an American League contract, uh, dressed four games with them, and was supposed to go on the road with them. for. I practiced with them for a month. And then uh, was supposed to go to on the road with them, and they brought in some Russian kid. And uh, he, I was, in, oh, I was in the dressing room the last day. And... Um, we're in the shower and the kid looks at me and he goes, how old are you? And I said, I'm 41. I said, how old are you? 21. I said, I wish I, wish I was 21 again. Well, you might not have had your David Ayers moment, but you've left your mark on the game at every level uh, in a way that not many people have uh, before or since. And it's a real pleasure talking to you. Uh, my understanding is you're, you're still in the game building masks uh, a little bit and if somebody was interested in working with you to, to build their next mask, uh, how do they get uh, get a hold of you? Uh, they can get in touch with me through Instagram um, at Greg Harrison, the mask or uh, through sport mask directly or through goalie parts. Perfect. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll make sure that all those, those are linked uh, in the show notes for, uh, for the podcast and, uh, and we'll make sure if anybody wants to have a conversation they can. And in fact, we, we actually set this whole thing up through Instagram. When I sent a message, is this the Greg Harrison I'm speaking to? Yes. And I'm glad it was. Well, thank you, David. <laughs> so thank you so much for taking, taking the time far more than, than promised. Uh, but I have a feeling it's just the first of many conversations because, uh, people will be fascinated by your story, by your experiences. And I know we're going to want to revisit them at some point, uh, hopefully in person when I'm in Toronto one Anytime. day. Anytime. Thank you, Greg. Have a great David, day. Thank you.
fascinating. And I don't think you have to be of, uh, of my generation uh, to, to really be sucked into the, to that conversation. Well done, Hutch. Uh, that, was a, that was a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. Do you guys have a, do you guys have, as we bring in uh, Woody, a favorite Greg Harrison mask uh, over the course of, uh, of, of what you've been watching hockey? Let's start well, with I, you, Woody. I was going to say that I'm, I'm not of either one of your generations. You no, old you're, you're not. Farts, and I was still drawn into that conversation. <laughs> Um, I think mine is um, is probably Gary Bromley, the Bones mask. Uh, that's just like it's, it's just like I mean, there's so many iconic masks. Uh, Hutch mentioned the Graton mask; that'd probably be up there. But yeah, just for me, it's it's Bromley for sure. That thing was so unique, and it it captured that sort of edgy, scary element too, beyond that sort of transcended goaltending. What about you, Hutch? Yeah, for me, for me, uh, it's uh, Kurt Ridley when he was with the Vancouver Canucks, and and you might all assume that's because I'm in British Columbia, but I actually grew up in Toronto, and that's when I uh, grew to love the mask. I wasn't a Canucks fan at the time, but for some reason, just the simplicity, the play off the logo, uh, the boldness to it, really stuck with me as a as a youngster. Um, found out from Greg, unfortunately, after I think think after a trade, it got painted over. So, you know, again, which happened to a few of those, a right? lot of them. Yeah. Because, because back in the day, the teams weren't going to get you a new mask every, every how many weeks, uh, for whatever special event comes up. Well, I was, Hey, Corey Schneider, actually, I remember he did a tribute to that Kurt Ridley mask, uh, yeah. a few years ago here in Vancouver. And that was, that was one of my favorites as well. That is a good, that is definitely a good lid. Um, you know, interesting. Which, that, what, tell everybody about that design who maybe aren't as familiar with. Well, it really just takes the, uh, the Canucks logo and then, and then crosses it almost like two cross swords and it sort of extends the sticks to both ends. I mean, we, we can put an image of it up on the, uh, up with the show notes here, but yeah, just the simplicity of that, that Canucks stick in, in rink logo being crossed like two cross swords. So. Well, hey, and, and to bring this back to the conversation we had at the beginning about gear and Robin Lehner getting his Vegas gear right away um, and, and masks getting painted over, uh, we're actually going to have a segment with Alex Ald who, who shows us his Harrison mask from early in his career. And he's got a few that got painted over during his NHL career. He, went, he bounced around a few teams and one of his favorite masks all time actually got painted over. So he's like, he's showing me the mask and he's like, there's actually two here. This one you're just never going to see because it got painted over. This trade deadline we saw before with Jack Campbell, uh, Mario Designs in Toronto doing a wrap of mm-hmm. his King's mask. And now we've seen it with Louis Domingue here in Vancouver within a day of being traded uh, and, and facing the nightmare that would have been covering up devil's colors, um, black and red uh, with the white, blue and, and green of Vancouver. They just wrapped the mask. And so not only are you creating a new look and short notice for a new team, um, but as I understand it, it's easily removable so that that artwork underneath is preserved long-term. So a guy like Louis Domingue, who told me he had a mask that now going to his full-time artist, David LaRue, uh, from DL Airbrush for, for a sort of full-time Canucks mask. In the meantime, he gets to wear Canucks colors without having to sacrifice the artwork that was on that devil's mask. So, you know, uh, old is new and trends, trends are reborn. There's a way to sort of um, keep guys up to date without having to sacrifice what, you know, in a lot of cases like that, that lost Ridley mask would have had a lot of meaning to not just the, the goalie wearing it, but a lot of people around the league. Yeah. I was kind of, uh, proud of Leonard that he didn't, uh, didn't wrap his mask 
that he went with the uh, with the Chicago mask probably for the helped. first couple of games. It probably would have been a tougher call if he was traded to Vancouver and was trying to try oh, to yeah. match that with. Uh, yeah. But but I think for his, in his case too, it like it helps that it's dark, like in terms of the color scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, so personal with the messages about mental health and the same yeah. here logos and stuff like that. I'm with you. I, like this is turning into a Robin Laner Stan account in Goal in right. Goal Magazine <laughs> and our social media channels, but. Um, just, just, just huge fan of the guy as a goaltender and everything he's been through and the way he's been open about it and the way he's helped other people through other things. And, you know, we'll come to back to this one for another day, but, you know, shock still, I think that given what he was willing to stay in Chicago for, they didn't, you know, the Blackhawks that is, didn't find a way to make that work just as the Islanders didn't, you know, again, a longer topic for another day, but I do wonder how much of this is just teams not want, they want their goaltenders to be seen and not heard. That nickname Panda is a great nickname too. Yes. I, yes. I, I don't know the total backstory on it. I don't know that you guys do, but I it's, don't know uh, it at all. You got to get it for us. Well, I was just going to say it count, comes from Chicago, but I don't have the backstory either. And I'm pretty sure there's only one guy in this podcast that can get that kind of information yeah. for us. You know, they're on the road for a couple of games. When they come back, I'm going to sit down with them and, uh, and, and try and get that because it's a, just a cool, uh, if it's Big Panda or whatever it is, uh, I think Big Panda works uh, sort of a playoff, Big Poppy, and, uh, and, and the guys. A large, large human. They, we showed a shot uh, on our broadcast the other day. Uh, you know, at the end of the game, the headbutts and all that, the celebration. Ryan Reeves and and mm-hmm. uh, Robin Leonard and and Leonard towers over Reeves. It, like just makes him look Reeves look human. I'm like, wow, that that says it all. Perspective. Hey, Go ahead. Well, we just have to rewind a little bit because we got uh, Woody's favorite mask and my favorite mask. What's your favorite, Harrison? I I would go Belfour. Yeah, because of the it's spectacular. Uh, detail uh, spawned the sort of like uh, Cujo with the uh, with the nickname yep. uh, we, Eddie the Eagle and uh, and Cujo. So there's there's real uh, historical meaning there and and uh, and staying power. And you could see it like the conversation where you guys get into detail and too much detail. Mm-hmm. That was an intricate mask, but you could see and tell what it was from virtually anywhere. Uh, up close or far away. And uh, I, I like that part of it too, that it was just, um, uh, it was simple yet, uh, yet magnificent and it stood out. So that, that would be mine. And Icon- Thanks, Matt or Tobin. Iconic, right? Like we've, we've, we've yeah. talked about that before, like outside of Henrik Lundqvist and his pads in New York and who knows where that goes, but we've sort of lost that, that iconic one look for a goalie throughout his career type of thing. We're, I, th- we're, I think we're going back to more simplistic designs though. Yeah, uh, there's a bit, a bit of a trend in, in, in that recently. I hope it continues. Me too. And, and, and people can make, uh, make, make their stamp on it. Uh, March 13th, remember, it's the uh, end of season sale, right, Woody? Yep, at the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports in Surrey, and thehockeyshop.com. Make sure you check out all their social media channels. Don't be surprised if they tease a few things in the coming weeks for the sale. But also keep in mind, May 24th, Tendy Fest 5, you'll start to see some details, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, keep your eyes on the hockey shop.com uh, for all those details and lots of good things coming up soon. And Hutch, uh, keep those DMs going uh, to everybody <laughs> around the hockey world because uh, you, you've come up with a couple of beauties uh, recently. And uh, this week's uh, conversation with Greg Harrison was spectacular. Uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Working, well working on somebody who was mentioned in this week's uh, episode on that interview with Harrison. So we'll just hold, hold tight, but working on one for you. Oh, very good. I like it. Nice. See, there's, there's, when dad stays up late, he gets work done. 
Yeah, <laughs> unlike, this is, unlike the kids. This is there there and and he's learning that that's I believe in the business they call that a tease. Yes, you're right about that. Uh, we'll we'll see what uh, what happens and we'll make sure that you know about it uh, when it comes to fruition as uh, as Hutch uh, works on his connections and uh, and reaches out to those of the goaltending world uh, for the features and the interviews and the the stories from the uh, the hockey world and uh, inside the crease for Kevin Woodley, David Hutchison, I'm Darren Millard. Thanks for listening to In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by Source for Sports Surrey, The Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com. And uh, make sure you check out The Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com for the end of season sale coming up on March 13th. See you next week.